You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, last spring, uh, a patrolman just outside of Missoula, Montana, found a bit of chaos on the road. Up ahead, there was a red sedan that was swerving wildly across the lanes. Um, So he put on the lights and caught up and uh, found that the chaos wasn't just on the road. The chaos was also in the cars. When he walked up to the side of the car, he saw inside the cabin there were bees, honeybees, all swarming, thousands of them up the window and all around there. (laughs) Didn't want to ask the guy to roll down the window. Uh, Turns out this guy was transporting five Russian honeybee hives. And uh, instead of putting them in the trunk of the car, for some reason he thought to put them in the cabin. And they weren't well sealed. Now it's not clear in life if we can keep uh, the bees out of the car. But the question is, can we keep the chaos from driving the car? Can we keep the chaos in the world and in our lives from setting the direction of our lives? from keeping us from going where we want to go. And by the way, where do we want to go? Well, today we begin a new series in which we will study together the book of Ephesians, a book that I love greatly. We're calling this Walk with the Dawn. And we're going to meet a man named the Apostle Paul uh, who is concerned, we have to guess, about the direction of his life. You worship for this last Sunday on Easter. We met him there as he encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus. This is A.D. 33. At that point in his life, you got to believe his prospects were very good. Now, by the time the uh, epistle of Ephesians is being written, it's 30 years later. The Apostle Paul is now in prison. And prison means nothing if it doesn't mean you don't get to set the direction of your life. And uh, just a few short years, probably eighty sixty seven, he will be uh, beheaded uh, there in Rome under the uh, persecutions of Nero. So from a distance, if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, you'd have to see, say it looks like a man who's just swerving across the lanes. He's got to feel the sting on his arms and on his cheek. It looks like chaos. It looks like at this point, the Apostle Paul must have lost all sense of direction. And yet the readers who receive this epistle who are in Asia Minor, by the way, where Turkey is today, don't find him in despair. In fact, from the very first sentences of this letter, they find him worshiping. It's a kind of a breathless, joyful worship as Paul moves through these early paragraphs. There's hope. He has a sense of God's presence with him, and even more than that, he has a sense that God has a plan. God has a plan for all of this. So, in this book, we'll find the intersection of two very strong, very important biblical themes. Uh, The one is what I call future theology, sometimes referred to as eschatology, future theology. And the other is uh, wisdom theology. They, They converge. We see here that the future has begun. There's a dawn that's rising in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now beginning to flood all of creation with beauty and light. And on the other hand, this is wisdom. 
Wisdom is walking. This is the language. Wherever you see the word live in our translations of the book of Ephesians, it's frequently translating the simple word for walk, which is the wisdom language. The wise person walks in a certain way. And we'll see that used repeatedly through the book. This is wisdom literature. We'll discover that Jesus is empowering us as the dawn to walk a new path in a new way. So it's a profoundly hopeful book, and it's a deeply practical uh, book. And we're going to learn how to walk uh, with the dawn. So today, let's begin where the Apostle Paul begins. He begins with this plan, this plan. Uh, Scholars tell us the key verse for the whole book, and I think it's true, is is verse 10 of the first chapter. It talks of this plan, and Sarah read it for us earlier, but could I invite you to open your Bible back up uh, to page 949, and I'd like to read some of this together as a congregation. Let's read verses 5 through 10. We'll wind up to that climax about the plan. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's Word aloud together and join the Apostle Paul as he worships Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. You're reading God's Holy Word When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Verse 5. He, that's God. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Two uh, Sundays ago, you may have seen a New York Times article on uh, Polynesian wave piloting. It's a fascinating uh, article. It's raising the question, really, how did ancient peoples uh, find a direction? Thought of it because if Paul's going to claim that God has a plan... For all of creation, the question that emerges in my mind is, how do we find our direction, the context of this plan? And here from um, first centuries, actually, uh, Western explorers have been befuddled by the fact that when they get to the Marshall Islands, they find people there. Because the Marshall Islands are, uh, you know, halfway between Australia and Hawaii, surrounded by hundreds of miles of open sea. And you know, how do you explain people there? Did they, did they, did God just independently create them on the island or did they, did they accidentally find? Well, what we're, scientists are telling us now through archaeology and DNA is that, no, in fact, the people that are, that are there uh, were there intentionally. They, they looked for those islands and they, and they found them intentionally. How, how is that possible? Uh, nobody ever thought that uh, through ancient navigational techniques, which using the sun or the stars or the wind, you could find islands you couldn't see in this way. But we've discovered now that actually how they did that, it was the Polynesian wave pilots. As it turns out, there are massive currents that sweep across the Pacific. And when they strike 
uh, a solid object like an, a, a, a reef or an island, uh, they distort, they bend, they, ref- they reflect. And these, um, there's a special group of people who could study the waves and learn how to read the chaos on the surface of the chop and understand that there was something solid, even hundreds of miles away. These are the wave pilots. Don't you wish you had a reliable way to find direction in the chaos of your life? I mean, I know I do. I think this week you and I will face infinite numbers of decisions. Uh, We'll stand on our doorstep and we'll have to make a choice. Do I take the dog walking to the right or to the left? Some of them are really small choices. You know, do I wear the green pants today? Uh, Hopefully you decide that before you're at your doorstep. Uh, Some of the decisions are really large. What college should I go to? Should I go to college? Who should I room with? Should I take the job in Chicago or in Austin? Should I get married? When should I retire? Should we take up aggressive medical interventions? These are big questions. But whether the questions are small or large, you and I will find that in every case, cumulative, they will take us somewhere. And it's somewhere we may or may not want to go. And so today, all of us are at an intersection with one foot raised, trying to decide. The good news now for Paul, and I think for us, is this, that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. You may have heard that before. It's so simple, but I want you to think about it this morning. He's got a plan. This is the language that Paul uses. It's reflected in this. If you notice, he says, God chose, God destined, God has a will. And then Climus says in verse 10, where he says, he's got this plan. God's got a plan. It's a a comprehensive plan that embraces all time. By the way, we sang that in the first hymn, the potentate of time. I just love saying that. He's the potentate of time. So from uh, time, uh, eternity past, he he was able to see the first day of your life. Before you you ever had your first thought, you existed in the mind of God. He, He knew your name. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses at that point. He knows the chaos. Uh, that, that's coming, and he loves you. He loves all of you. He loves all of that. He dreamed you into existence, eternity past. He's got his hold also on eternity future. He understands the last day of your life, and through the whole process, from the first to the last, Paul says his plan is to gather you up. He wants to gather you up, or some translations he wants to sum you up, together with all things, under one head. That's the language there. Uh, one head. Christ is, is to be the head. All things under him. What about the direction, therefore, of those days, however they may be? How do we orient ourselves, our lives, to this plan? I want to suggest to you uh, today two practices, wisdom and worship. And uh, in doing this, I really want to orient you to the whole book because these are some of the grand themes that Paul's working with, wisdom and worship. Let's think first about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is taking good steps. See, see the, the wave pilots are taking good steps. They observe very small increments in a microclimate, and they make good adjustments so to, with an oar or a rudder or perhaps the trim of a sail. They make small reactions to important but um, uh, maybe even un- unobservable to most people uh, changes in their context. They're skilled people. So, you know, wisdom is important. God acts in wisdom, we see in verse 8. God has acted in wisdom. He's done this wisely. And then he calls us to act like him. You'll see this later in chapter 5, verse uh, 15, 
where Paul writes, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. He's calling them to, to wisdom. By the way, that's one of those words, live, that's really walk in the Greek. Be careful how you walk. Um, uh, step with care, he, he's saying, which is good advice for the dog park as well. Step with care. Be careful how you, be careful how you live. He said, be wise, right? Take good steps, he's saying. So, so one way to get at what wisdom is is to get at what it is not. Uh, uh, wisdom is not putting bees in the cabin of your car. We could all agree on that. That was not a good decision. That was not taking a good step. But even more than that, I want to suggest to you that wisdom is not two things. It's not determinism, on the one hand, as we fear it might be when we read this passage. And it's not guidance, which we might crave uh, when we look at the complexity of our lives. See, uh, determinism is the idea, the philosophical concept, that God makes all the decisions for us. He's made it all in advance for us, or somehow outside of time, God makes all the decisions but I want you to see here that the Apostle Paul, though he does use some of the language of destiny, he says, uh, God has destined us. But he, uh, in verse 5, he hasn't destined us for interior design or for radiology or to take the job in Austin or the job in Chicago. What is he destined? He's destined us for adoption as his children. That's important. See, that's the, that's the level of specificity. He, he, he is, he, his plan is that you and I will see ourselves, and he's referring here to Roman law. Paul's the only guy that does this, by the way, in the Bible. We're adopted. All the privileges of adoption that would accrue to somebody under Roman law are yours in Jesus Christ. This is his plan for you to see yourself as his beloved daughter, his beloved son, in God's beloved son, Jesus. For that, he's destined you. So, but it's not determinism. God hasn't chosen uh, for you every single decision, so you can just sit back. This is a book that calls people to active engagement, uh, not uh, a passivity. Then the other uh, thing that uh, wisdom is not is guidance. And I think this is greatly disappointing to many of us. A guidance would be where God tells you what decisions you should make, as though he were GPS, giving you turn-by-turn directions through life. We kind of want that. Wouldn't that be nice? And God says, don't wear the green pants today. It's not going to go well, right? But this is the way uh, he usually operates. Now, sometimes he does give us guidance. Just for example, in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul and a group of friends are traveling, and they want to go uh, east. Uh, they want to go deeper into Asia. But it, the, he, uh, the text tells us in verse 7 and 8, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. It's Luke writing. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. We don't know what that was like. Could they not get their passport stamped? Was the road closed? Did someone get sick? We don't know. But anyways, he's redirected by divine guidance to go uh, west, actually, to go towards uh, Philippi. And, and, and God will do that in our lives. He's done that in mine. He'll do that in yours. But his normal way of, of giving us direction is not through that. It's, new, it's through wisdom. Uh, and, and this is what James invites his readers to engage in chapter 1, where he says, if, uh, if any of you are lacking in wisdom, simply ask God, but ask him in faith. So here's, the, here's my little summary of, of that, my, the AAA. When you're, when you're lost, you, need, you, know, you call it AAA. It's acknowledge, it's ask, and act. Acknowledge God's word. He's spoken already. Understand it. Acknowledge it. Ask him for wisdom, and then act, trusting he has given it to you. This is how wisdom operates. You're not wetting your finger and putting it, holding up to the wind. Uh, you're not listening for an audible voice. You're engaging your agency because God has created you in his image to make significant decisions in life, so do so wisely. 
Wisdom is taking our own steps. Wisdom is putting his word, which he's, he's already spoken so clearly to us, into practice. It's truth in life. We connect to God's plan as we pursue wisdom. Just as Jesus is his beloved child, so if we are in Christ, we are his beloved children, and we are to act as Jesus would act as beloved children. The Lord is saying to you, you just take what I've taught you, put it into practice. Now, when our children call us on the phones, sometimes it's very sweet, um, they will ask us for advice, which is something they didn't do during their teenage years. And they're starting to say, what should I do about this? Should I, should I go camping with a group of people? I don't really know them, but it sounds like a great trip. Or should I not? Or should I take Arabic or should I take Spanish? You know, they, and, and, and they want to know what we, what we think. And so what Ann and I have learned is we don't answer that question anymore. We do not. It's not that we don't have an opinion on it. Uh, we, we do have, we have a lot of opinions, but, but we don't answer that question because they're old enough now to start to internalize the teaching that we have given them. And what, what's more important, we know, than whether they take Arabic or Spanish is that they grow up into the kind of person who makes good decisions. See, we want our children to mature, to internalize the values that we have taught them. And God is no different. He's saying, you, you pray sometimes, say, Austin or Chicago. He goes, I'm not going to tell you. Because I want you to take what I've already revealed to you and make a good decision with it. So acknowledge my word, ask for wisdom, and then act you know, with faith, by faith. It, it, people who've done study on research, uh, research on GPS recently, it's a fascinating discovery. They've shown that people who use GPS to navigate... Uh, when you ask them to take a piece of paper and draw a map of the regions through which they, cha- they travel, they can't do it. Not nearly as well as somebody who does not use a GPS to draw a map, right? It is so fascinating. And brain scientists explain this to us. They say, um, when you uh, get lost and you travel, you're building a cognitive map in a part of your brain called the hippocampus. This is where we store memories. And now research is showing we actually have a cognitive map of of, of, of the regions through which we travel. London taxi cab drivers, um, they have enlarged hippocampuses, hippocampi, right? Um, people who use GPS show no neural activity in the hippocampus. Just <laughs> not thinking, right? You're, you're not building that map. So uh, if we just tell our children, do this, do this, do this, then they're becoming stunted uh, emotionally, intellectually, right? And God doesn't treat us that way. She says, no, I actually, I want, I, want, I want you to have to think your way through this situation because you're going to find yourself in a situation in life where there is no map cornered by your chaos, and I want you to be the mature person who knows how to do what I would do in that situation. See, I want my values inside of you, so I'm growing you up. That's what wisdom does. That's what, that's what wisdom is about. And so we connect to God's plan as we pursue wisdom. We internalize the plan so we can find our way in any situation. Well, the, the second way that we orient our lives to this plan is through worship. So look at, you're doing it already. You're here today. What is worship? Uh, worship is finding the fixed point. That's what worship is all about. Finding the fixed point uh, in your life. This is, this is how the wave pilots are able to get to where they're going, right? Because there's something that's fixed out there. Whales won't do it, but an island that's fixed will send off a new pattern of waves. It looks like chaos, but there's some measure of information in that chaos that gives me an orientation in life. Paul notes here that the purpose of life is to live to the praise 
of his glory. Did you see that? As Sarah read this, this phrase comes up three times. Everything, the reason for all of this, at the end of the long sentences, by the way, this is all one sentence, verses 3 through 14, but all the clauses climax to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the, we're meant to live our lives for God. And this is the kingdom principle that Jesus teaches, that a life is great only to the extent that it lives for something that's greater than itself. You know that. When you live for something that's greater than yourself, your life grows in greatness. And what could be greater than the greatest of all creatures, beings, or things? This is the self-created God, God of all glory and goodness. When we put him at the center of our lives, we have a fixed point that is worthy of our lives. Not something ephemeral, fleeting, unstable. I love the advice that uh, David Foster Wallace gave about 10 years ago at Kenyon College. He gave the commencement address. And he said this kind of a long quote, but but just enjoy this. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Interesting for David Foster Wallace. There's no such thing as worshiping, as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God, lowercase g, or spiritual type thing to worship, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, If they are where you tap real meaning in life, he writes or says, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before you find they uh, they finally grieve you. Worship power. Uh, You will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will never ever uh, need, never need, uh, and you will need, sorry, ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are the default settings. So Wallace is calling his audience at Kenyon College the same thing the Apostle Paul is calling those in Asia Minor. He's saying, wake up and think about what you're worshiping. What, what, what's the fixed point around which you're orienting your life? What's your true north? And I'm saying we connect to God's plan as we practice worship. And Paul's in prison when he writes this letter in Rome. But notice, he's not talking about how he's in prison. That's not the phrase you see all the way through this. I'm in prison, in prison, in prison. You notice what he says? 11 times he says, I'm in Christ. Or, or in him. That's, the, that's where he is. That's his orientation. Yeah, I'm in prison, but I'm in Christ. And that's what makes all the difference. He's the one who has the plan. Not the guy with the keys on the other side of the door. And worship draws us into that awareness. I tend to wake up with um, the what if, right? I'm lying in bed and I'm going, oh my gosh, what if the meeting doesn't go well today? What if I don't have enough time to do all the work that I have? You know, what if that person rejects me? What if I don't like my email? What if, what if, what if? Paul wakes up with a very different phrase. He wakes up with the phrase, in whom? See, this is, the, this is the, what shapes the cadence of this passage, if you look at it closely. It's translated in him or in Christ, but in the Greek, it's in whom, in whom, in whom. And he just keeps on going, breathless enthusiasm for who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. He wakes up with an in whom, and I'm in him. So it's, the worship is where we make that discovery. It refurbishes our imagination. 
I love that. That's the way I describe it. Worship refurbishes our imagination. Your thoughts are too small. There's not enough beauty in your anticipation of the day. Stephen Covey, you know, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, his second principle is begin with the end in mind. He says everything is created twice. Before the building is built, there's a plan in the mind of someone puts it on paper. Before the final closing arguments made by the lawyer, she writes, writes them out on a a sheet. Before a parent tries to raise a child, uh, he thinks about what that child will look like when he's mature. And so the same is true for our lives. And what worship does is it gives us a picture of the future. That's why Paul's saying he, he's revealed the mystery of his plan. And it looks a lot like Jesus. And everything will someday look a lot like Jesus. Worship him. And uh, you'll orient to that plan. Interesting, the brain scientists, again, say that emotion is seated in the limbic system which is where the hippocampus is. That's why when you and I worship and we're moved by a song such as David just sang and it just touches our heart and brings tears to our eyes, that's making a deep imprint. The neuroplasticity says you're actually changing, you're rewiring your brain as you worship Jesus Christ, uh, as we do it corporately. So we do it corporately together. It's more power that way. So what, what Paul's saying to us here is God has a plan for your life. He has a plan to gather up all things under Christ as head. And it's true that the chaos remains for now, and you understand that. But it doesn't have to drive your life. It doesn't have to set the direction uh, for your life. These GPS scientists tell us that actually getting lost is integral to the process of building an internal cognitive map of your landscape. In terms of theology, the Apostle Paul says, yeah, the trespass is bad. Trespass is, by the way, uh, going off the path. But it's always consumed by a greater grace in Jesus Christ. And so you and I can get lost. We can take all kinds of wrong turns, find ourselves in tough neighborhoods or even off the road altogether. And yet God hasn't lost us. He has a plan. One day a father and daughter were out for a summer drive and a warm window was sailing through the windows as they were cracked. But unfortunately a bee came in the cabin of the car. And when the little girl sitting in the back seat saw the bee come through the window, she screamed. Uh, because what she knew about herself was that she had a really serious allergic uh, reaction to bee stings. And this is not just a matter of having a little pinch on your arm. This could have killed her. And uh, her father, uh, hearing the scream and knowing the same thing, uh, begins to be very anxious. And the car starts to swerve on the road as he looks over his shoulder trying to find that bee. And his arms swinging wildly around the cabin of the car till finally he grabs it. He makes contact and he, and he holds it. And he looks back over the seat as he continues to drive, and his daughter has got sort of short, uh, panicked breaths. He holds it, holds the bee in his hand, and then he holds it back in front of her and opens up his hand. And the bee uh, flies out, and she screams even more. And he says, dear, honey, don't worry. Look at my hand. And he shows her the palm, and there is the the woody thorn stuck in his palm. And the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, O oh, death, where is thy sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is the plan. The chaos remains, but Jesus is the beginning of the end. And those who trust in him will walk with the dawn. Next week, we'll talk about how to begin that journey. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're gathered around our true north to say thank you to Jesus, to worship and praise him, 
And to know that when we go out of this place, we have the incredible privilege of living for nothing less than your eternal glory. Thank you for the plan. Bind our hearts to him that we might know we are one in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.